Janice Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Weisman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Chad Peterson. My parents weren't really focused on anything. They weren't religious at all. My dad would send me to Bible school for basically daycare. When I was 12, I decided I wanted to go to church with a friend of mine. I was brought up to the front of the church. The preacher put his hand upon my shoulder, pushed me down to my knees, and looked me in the face and told me I was going to hell. I never went back to church again. A friend of mine, he invited me to come to church on Easter with him. And for some reason, I called him up a week before church and told him I'd go with him. Nate gave a great sermon on Jesus and how God had put Jesus on this earth in human form and Jesus had died for our sins. Jesus went to the cross so that I could be forgiven. So I went home, I cried, and I asked for forgiveness. I've been back at church every weekend since. I've had multiple people that I've talked to that now are contemplating coming to church because of words I've talked to them about, things I've, I've discovered in my life. Well, good morning again, church. Hey, go ahead and get your Bibles out, go ahead and get your bulletin out. And then while you're doing it, I have a question that I want to ask you. How many of you, by show of hands, would say that you're old? Raise your hand up. Okay, some of you, um, no offense, Pastor Brian, did not raise your hand up. I turned 42 years old this year, and as I am getting older, here are a couple of things that I've been realizing as I've been getting older. Uh, the first one is, this life is going by fast. It seems like it's going by faster. And you know what? I, I know like there's still 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, seven days in a week, 365 days in a year. I know that time is not actually passing by faster, but it sure seems like it is. I can remember when I was a kid, it seemed like it took forever for Christmas to come by, for my birthday to come by, or summer break to come by. But right now, church, I can't even believe that we are just two days away from the month of November and that 2022 is almost over. In fact, here's a public service announcement for you. Christmas is about 56 days away. And I, I, can't even, I can't even mention like how fast it seems like my kids are growing up. In fact, my oldest daughter, Makaya, went into middle school this year. I couldn't believe it when I realized she was going to be going into the sixth grade. In fact, I told her that she was not allowed to go into the sixth grade. I almost cried. But no one would listen to me. My wife wouldn't listen to me and she wouldn't listen to me. So she still went into the sixth grade. But life is going by fast. But as I realized that this life is also going by fast, I also realized that things are also taking longer. When I was a little bit younger, I would get a stiff neck um, or a crink in my neck, and it seemed like it would go away just after a day or two. But now that I'm older, church, a couple of months ago, I had a crink in my neck that I woke up with, and it lasted for a month. I had to go to the chiropractor just to try to get it worked out. 
And it used to be that even when it comes to losing weight, it used to be like I could go through a, a series or a few weeks where all I would do is eat some salad and work out. And within 30 days, I could lose like 20 pounds. But now I could do the same thing and eat salad and work out for a month long. And I'll actually gain a couple of pounds. It seems like it's taken so much longer for things to happen. And again, I won't even mention how it seems like, at least from my perspective, that it takes my kids so long to actually get something that I'm trying to teach them. In fact, sometimes I'll say to my youngest daughter, I know you're five years old, but haven't I already told you this 200 times? Why don't you understand this yet? It seems like some things are just taking longer. But as I continue to get older, I also realize that time is running out. It was evangelist and pastor to president. Some would even say he was America's pastor at one point, Billy Graham, who lived to be 99 years old, but in his latter years of life, he would even say he could not believe how fast it seemed like life was going by. And he couldn't believe how little time it actually seemed like he had. It was in Psalm chapter 90 that Moses actually wrote that people lived to be typically in their 70s or 80s, that this is the time that God gives them typically, which means that right now, probably, if God allows, I'm probably about halfway through my life. You know, I feel like there's so much more I want to accomplish, so much more I feel like I want God to do in me and through me. But can I tell you something, church? The older you get, the more it will seem like life is going by faster the longer it will seem like it takes to accomplish the things you want. But also you realize that the clock is ticking and that time is running out. And aren't you so glad that you came to church today? The title of today's message is Urgency. A lot of times in the church, we challenge you to be patient. We challenge you to let patience do its work in you, to wait on the Lord, to wait on what God wants to do in you and through you. But at times too, scripture challenges us to have this sense of urgency, that there are things that God is calling us to do that we need to do and we need to have at the very forefront of our minds because we do not have forever. Our life is a vapor. It's a mist. So we need to be busy about doing the things of God. Because so many times we can be busy about doing all these other things, but at the end of the day, everyone would say that they would rather be busy about doing the things that matter the most. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. And today we're gonna to look at the last couple of chapters in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is one of those books that even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you would probably have heard about this book in the Bible before. And if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have probably heard so many different theories and thoughts and commentaries on the book of Revelation. In fact, you might even be afraid of some of the things that are in the book of Revelation. And there are so many different theories and thoughts on different parts of this book of the Bible. And some things that, yes, are very, very hard to understand. Some things that are very hard to even comprehend. But there are some things in this book as well that are crystal clear. In fact, the Apostle John, who was a first century follower of Jesus, who saw Jesus before he died, 
The apostle John walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, saw Jesus doing his teachings and his miracles, saw him loving people, rebuking people, serving people. And he was even one of the disciples who witnessed Jesus actually dying on the cross. In fact, after all his other followers had ran away when Jesus was being put on the cross, John was right there with him. And John was an eyewitness when he saw Jesus resurrect from the dead. So John was an eyewitness in the first century. He had this real encounter with Christ. And John actually writes the book of Revelation. And he's writing it while he was in exile on this island called Patmos after this heavy persecution from being a follower of Jesus and trying to help others do the same. John, as he writes this, he was probably near the end of his life. Time was running out. Again, I know there are things in this part of the Bible that we debate about, people write articles about, they write commentaries about that are hard to understand. But here is the intention of this book that John writes that's found in Revelation chapter one. Something that John wanted to state from the very beginning that was crystal clear. He says in Revelation chapter one, verse one, he says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. At the very end of the book of Revelation, John also makes this clear statement. He says in Revelation 22, verse 20, he says, He who testifies to these things, he says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So John makes some things crystal clear as he writes this revelation, this vision of who Jesus is. And one of the things clearly from the very beginning, he makes it known that this book is all about Jesus. Church, even in this is a reminder that you need Jesus, you need to be like Jesus, and you need to follow him. John says that this revelation, this vision that he's writing down, it is all about Christ. But he also makes it clear that this revelation, this vision, this encounter with the risen Christ is also prophetic. Now, typically with the Bible, there's two different ways that it talks about prophecy. One of the ways that it talks about prophecy probably isn't in the way that we typically or usually think, that it is future telling. That there's something that is going to happen in the future that will happen according to the will of God, but He's telling you these future things. These things are prophetic, going to happen in the future because right now is the time to pay attention to those things. We need to pay attention to them now because right now, because these things will happen, we need to pay attention. There's a change that needs to happen. There's a perspective that needs to shift in us. It's a reminder that as these things are getting ready to happen, now is the time to pursue holiness. Now is the time to pursue a christ centered life. But not only does prophecy typically involve this future telling, at times it's also forth telling, which means it's just simply making what is true known. So with the beginning and the end of Revelation, John states some future telling, look, these things are going to come, 
but also these things are forthtelling, which means that these are truths that we need to know right now. You know, back in John's gospel, in John chapter 8, verse 32, he would say, it is the truth that would set you free. Today, as we look at chapter 21 and part of chapter 20 in Revelation, we are going to talk about heaven and hell. And yes, some of these things for the moment are going to happen in the future, but there are truths that we need to know right now as followers of Jesus. Some of these things are urgent when it comes for us following and submitting ourselves to the things of God, but there's also a sense of urgency in these passages as we come under the authority of Christ, but also a sense of urgency that we need to have in sharing the gospel. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and the first heaven had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Church, we need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to the things of God, and we need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel because of this. Write this down, number one, because God has a design. He has a design. He has a plan. In fact, have you ever heard it said before that God has a plan? And have you ever wondered what in the world that plan is? And back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. It was so, so good. It wasn't marred by war or bloodshed. It wasn't marred by violence or tragedy or disease or by the Dallas Cowboys having a good season. It wasn't marred by anything bad. It wasn't marred by cancer or pain or suffering or pandemics or inflation. It was good. It was perfect. It was beautiful. That was his design. His plan, his design featured creating two distinct genders, man and woman in Adam and Eve. And they were good. They were to be perfectly human not gods, they were to be perfectly human, following their father, their creator. And then they were given this commission to take care of the earth, to steward the earth, and to have some image bearers of God, to have a huge family, to make more and more image bearers. Again, these image bearers, yes, they will be like their earthly parents, but they're also supposed to be like their creator, bearing the image of God. They were to live in a world that was not broken, but beautiful. To live in a world that was not polluted by sin, but purely good. This was his plan from the beginning. 
And here we see it being carried out in the end. In fact, in the end, in Revelation, it's actually just another new beginning. It is God's design. His plan is something, church, that cannot be stopped. Have you ever had a plan that was stopped? Maybe there was something that you were hoping that was going to happen after high school. Maybe it was a career plan you had that was going to happen after high school, but then that plan did not work out the way that you expected. Maybe there was something in your current career or your future career, and you had it all mapped out how it was going to go, when you were going to get promoted, where you are going to be, and that plan didn't work out the way that you expected. Maybe you were in a relationship with someone that you cared deeply about, and you, wanted, you saw your future with them. You had a plan, but it didn't work out the way that you thought. So many times our plans get changed or amended or even ruined. But church, God is sovereign. If God designed something, if he planned something, nothing can stop it. In fact, listen to what the prophet Isaiah, listen to what he records God saying in Isaiah chapter 46. God said, look, for I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Say, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Church, John sees the future coming, a new heaven and a new earth. And what God has planned, what he has designed, where he wants to walk with his people and to dwell with his people, just like he did with Adam and Eve, back before sin entered the world. From the beginning to the end, God wanted to have people created in his image who would worship him and worship the one and only true God to be truly good. His plan is not hidden. It is being carried out. This will come to fulfillment. And see, we need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to being about the things of God and sharing the gospel because of We need to be in alignment with his design and his plan because nothing can stop it. And see, this plan would indeed be great for everyone, but there is a problem. Look again at verse eight. John writes, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Church, we need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to the things of God, and we need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel because sin breaks us and eternity is real. I want you to help me share the next sub point under this second point with the person sitting next to you. I want you to turn to them. I want you to repeat after me. I want you to tell them, I don't mean to be morbid, but you are going to die. Now turn to the person who's your second choice and just tell them, hey, you too. Look, church, again, I, don't, I really don't mean to be morbid, but you are going to die. Church, all of us are, unless Jesus himself comes back in our lifetime, life on earth is going to end. 
Sometimes we really do live as if we do have forever. We, we say, hey, I'm gonna live to be 200 years old. But the truth is, no one can even boast about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. No one is promised tomorrow. In fact, it was a writer of Hebrews who said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it is it appointed to a man or woman once to die. And then after that comes judgment. Then all of these little sub points here under this I'm about to give you, none of these are mind-blowing, but sometimes we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded here so we don't get too comfortable with our life here on earth. And we need to remember that eternity is real because all of us, church, all of us are going to spend eternity somewhere. So write this down. Heaven is real. That's some real good news today, that heaven is real. It isn't something that is made up, like that show The Good Place that some people were watching a few years ago. Uh, Heaven isn't some sort of dream or some idea that people try to push that one day when you die, you're going to become a naked baby playing a harp on a cloud somewhere in the sky. Heaven is not a made-up place. It is real. It's a place that those who have trusted Jesus will be with him one day. In fact, listen to again what John says here in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. John says, look, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. Church, we're going to come back to this in a moment. But can I just tell you as a pastor, this is where I want everyone to be. This is where I want everyone to experience one day to be in the place where the Lord dwells with them and walks with them. A place where we are no longer marred by the effects of sin, but we're in a place where God has wiped away every single tear. When there is no more pain, no more funerals, no more goodbyes, but we are with the Lord in glory with him. And can I just tell you too, this is what the Lord wants for you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. That's part of his design. That is what he wants for you. But see, the problem is what I just mentioned in point number two, that sin breaks us. And yes, church, the truth is that heaven is real, but also write this down, hell is real as well. You know, there have been people who have sung songs about hell, almost glorifying it. In fact, um, I don't advise you do this, but I looked up the lyrics of the song, Highway to Hell. Um, and in that song, like this band, um, I don't know, it's, you guys probably know their name, ACDC, how to say it. Anyway, so like in this song, I mean, they're literally talking about how it's going to be a party. It's going to be a, a great reunion with their friends and all the people who have decided to live life their way. Who cares about God? It's going to be a great party in hell. People have done skits saying that, you know what, it's just a place that's a little bit warmer. We're all just hanging out. You may not be able to have some ice cream, but it's going to be a fun time. 
People have even said that they are not afraid of hell. Let me just say, you should be. Listen to what John writes in Revelation 21, verse 8. He said, but as for the cowardly, the faceless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, John writes, he says, look, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Church, here are a few thoughts on hell that, again, I just want to remind you of and I want you to be aware of. The first one is it's real. All throughout Scripture, there is a description of a place that those who reject the Lord, that they end up here. You'll see it oftentimes referred to as death or Hades. And even right here in verses 13 and 14, you see it referred to as death and Hades. And Hades is sometimes used in different ways in the New Testament, but oftentimes it's held up in, in, the, in the opposite way, the opposite view of what heaven is. Hell is a real place. But not only is it real, it's real punishment. You know, Hebrews talks about how it was appointed to a man once to die, but here in Revelation, it's talked about this second death. So is there a contradiction in scripture there? If, there, if, you're, appointed to a, if you're appointed to die once, but then here it's talking about a second death. But see, that first death is the physical death. But the second death is a spiritual one. This is a complete loss of hope. No peace, no love, no joy, no friendship, no happiness. Some people even say, look, hell is a place that is devoid of the presence of God. And and that is true to some extent, but it's more like it is a place that is full of the wrath of God. The punishment that he pours out on the unrighteous and those who have rejected Christ. Look, God is omnipresent, which means his presence is everywhere, but in different places and in different circumstances, different aspects of his presence are shown and felt. And hell is a place where his wrath is poured out for those who've rejected the grace of God. It's real. It's real punishment, but it's also real punishment that doesn't end. You know, some people have have even theorized lately, especially maybe in our modern culture, and they've said, look, this is gonna be a, a, a place where one day, look, everyone's gonna, just gonna get called to heaven at, at, to one, at one point, and all the pain and suffering and the punishment is going to end. Some people even said, you know, at some point, it's just gonna be over and everyone will be saved because in the end, love wins, people will say. 
But even when you reach the end of the book of Revelation, there is no extinguishing. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, this is Jesus coming back. When the Lord Jesus is revealed with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. And then in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, Jesus says, and these will go away into eternal punishment. Then even a little bit earlier in Revelation chapter 14, John records, he says, look, if anyone worships the beast, which the beast was this personification of this servant of Satan, if anyone's following Satan full force, not following Jesus, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on their forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of his holy angels in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They will have no rest day or night. It's real punishment that doesn't end. It's also the real punishment that we deserve. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says the wages of sin is death. Church, our sin deserves the wrath of God. It deserves to be punished. God is so serious about sin. In fact, I can even remember before I trusted Christ, a Christian friend of mine asked me the question. He said, Andrew, if, if you were to die right now and stand before God, and if God were to, uh, God were to ask you a question and say, why would I let you in heaven, what would you say? And I would say, you know what? I am not a bad person. In fact, I'm a good person. I haven't done anything wrong. I, I can remember saying I haven't really done anything wrong. I'm a good person. I'm trying to live a good life. But how many know there's so many people who are thinking that way or even living that way where they're going to spend eternity apart from God in this real place called hell? In fact, look back again at verse 8. What types of people are listed in hell that John talks about? He says, look, the cowardly, uh, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Now, now this list is not an exhaustive list of all the sins that everyone has done. But if you look at that list up there, it does touch on every sin that any one of us have done. In fact, let me ask you a question, church. How many of you have ever told a lie? Raise your hand up. You've ever told a lie. If your hand is not up, you just told your very first lie. So you still committed sins like everyone else. It's not an exhaustive list, but it does touch on every single sin that all of us have done. See, it's a reminder, church, that all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And we need something to pay the price for our sins. In fact, let me illustrate it to you this way, okay? 
We've already talked about how God has a design. And we've talked about how from the beginning, he wanted to create a world that was good. It was perfect. And he wanted his people to live in that world that was good, to be perfectly good human beings, to follow him, to see a world that was truly beautiful. In fact, even when it comes to God's design, this is what he wants for you. He wants you to experience life to the full. He wants you to experience his incredible love right now here on earth, but also for eternity one day. But as John talks about, there is a problem. And that problem is sin. We're all born with this problem of sin. And we don't even realize it sometimes, but that sin is pulling us further and further away from God's design. And we end up in a place called brokenness. Now, sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes we don't even think about like what that brokenness looks like. But if we really do think about how we're living in a broken world right now because of sin, we realize that this is, this is where a lot of times our life ends up being. And see, we feel this brokenness. We feel it in us. We feel it around us. And so many times we're trying to fix this brokenness with all these different things. In fact, just think about some of the things that John listed back in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. He listed idolatry, the idolaters. So sometimes we try to fill our lives with idols. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but sometimes, you know, we, 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 when we look at that word idol, when we see it listed as idolatry, like we don't, we don't think, we, we say, you know, we're, that's not us. We're not, again, going to Walmart and picking up a little statue, taking it home and putting it down and worshiping that thing. We're not doing that. But see, a modern definition of idolatry that I think really helps us is when we make something or someone an ultimate thing. And sometimes we're, we're trying to take someone or something and make it an ultimate thing to fix our brokenness. But there's only one someone or something that can ultimately fix this that's causing that brokenness that we feel. What about when, when, when John talked about like the sexually immoral? Again, so many times, especially in our current culture right now, man, we are trying to fix our brokenness, trying to fill this hole in our lives with sexual immorality. It's one of the reasons why people keep going to pornography because they're trying to fix this. But you can't fix this unless you find the solution for this. It's the reason right now, even in our 21st century culture, that people have moved away from God's design. In fact, the very way that he designed them is male or female. And they're trying to fix their brokenness by literally reassigning the design that God had for them. All it's doing is producing more brokenness. What about when John writes about how we're liars? Wait, how do you spell liars? There we go. That says liars. Uh, What about when John writes about how we are all liars? And see, so many times it's not just like the lies we're telling other people, but it's the lies that we're telling ourselves. Sometimes we're telling ourselves the lies that, man, if, if I just keep striving for a career, like that's going to fix like this, this pain or this emptiness that I feel inside myself. 
Sometimes we're lying to ourselves saying, look, if I lean into some more sexual immorality or idolatry or this detestable act or whatever it is in our lives, we think we're going to fix this. But the truth is, you're trying to fix this with all these other things, but all they're doing is leading you further and further away from the real solution. And if someone dies before they find the solution to this, trying to fill their lives with all of this, they're going to spend eternity apart from God. Church, this is why we need to have a sense of urgency. Because I was, I was right here as well. In fact, I was even the type of person that said, you know what, I have lots of time in my life. Before coming to trust Christ, I would even say, maybe once I'm in my 40s. <laughs> Once I'm in my 40s, that's when I'm going to be, that's when I'm really going to maybe follow Jesus, surrender my life to him, and give my life to him. But all I was doing was trying to fill my life with more and more brokenness. As someone leaves this earth, they have not trusted Christ. They will spend eternity apart from God. But there's good news. Write this down, church. Number three, as long as we are living, there's still hope because of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. Listen again what John says here in Revelation 21, verses six through seven. He says, he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning of, And the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. When Jesus says right here that he is the alpha and omega, he's saying, look, I started this. I started this in the beginning. I had a plan. I started this and Jesus is going to finish it with his reconciliation plan, with his redemption plan. When he says to the thirsty that he will give to them the spring of water without payment, it's a reminder that when you trust Jesus, that debt that was owed by sin, the wages of sin is death. Our sin is earning us something, but that payment has been made by Christ. That sin that deserved death and a second death That sin that deserved the wrath of God poured out on you, it has been paid for. Church, that's why the gospel is such good news. And the gospel is simply this. The gospel is simply a Bible word that means good news. And it means that this Jesus who is God, he came down here to this earth to pay the price for our sins. Really, we have two choices. Either you could attempt to pay for your sins on your own, or you can surrender them to Christ and repent of your sin and turn to him. And these are the core facts of the gospel that we've been telling you that this Jesus who is God, he came down to this earth, he died on the cross to pay for our sins, but then he bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave, giving you an eternity that's so much better than you could ever think or imagine. And it's so simple. Look, 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 God says all you have to do like to get to the gospel You don't have to fill your life with all these other things. All you have to do is to repent and believe and receive the good news of the gospel. 
And see, even better than that, once you repent and believe and receive, you get to move into God's design. You get to recover and pursue God's design. And that's not just now, but it's forever. When you are in Christ, when you've turned to him, when you've trusted him, you get to live this life to the full. And yes, right now, while we're still on earth, like we are gonna still experience some of this brokenness, but God is still making all things new. He's working in you. There's something about when you trust Christ, you begin to move and to live in God's design. This is what he wants for you. Church, we need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel because we need to remember, look, Jesus is coming back. He is going to return. He is coming back. I don't want you to forget that this life on earth is short. It's a mist. It's a vapor. And whether Jesus comes back or whether our life on earth here ends, we need to have a sense of urgency. We need to recover and pursue God's design. And see, you know, as followers of Jesus, like we, we live in this already, but also not yet. In fact, in Revelation chapter 21, verse five, when John says, when John said that Jesus said, behold, I'm making all things new. Look, this is not yet. This is going to come. Remember, this is God's design, what he's working toward. Like eventually everything will be made new again. But listen to what the apostle Paul says about right now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Church, that is right now. And for those of you who are already followers of Jesus, this is a reminder that you are no longer under the power of sin in your life. Once you've submitted to the authority of Christ, you can overcome the brokenness that sin wants to cause in you and through you. This is right now. And he says, look, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ and God is making his appeal through us. Paul says, look, we implore you. Again, church, this is urgent. This is right now. This is why we need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel with those that God has placed in our circles of influence. Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, Church, for the believer in the room, all throughout this series, we've been talking about just how important it is that we will bring our hearts, our lives into alignment in what, what it is that God wants to do in us. 
We've been talking about how important it is to pray, God, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done. And I'm praying, church, and I'm challenging all of us that we will keep praying for those who are far from God. Look, people are not projects, but will you pray for them? Will you love them? Will you serve them? Will you love them in the same way that Christ does, even though they're far from him right now? But will you pray and will you also prepare? Because God is going to open a door for you to share the gospel. Look, you can't save anyone, but it's God who draws everyone. And he's going to use someone to reach people to experience his love. And that person is you. And for the person who's maybe sitting in the room and you haven't yet trusted Christ as Lord, today is the day. In fact, I just want to share the gospel with you one more time. God loves you. He has a plan for you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. But see, that sin breaks you, that sin problem that we're all born with, it is pulling you further away from him unless you do something about that sin problem. But the good news is that this Jesus, who is God, came into this earth and died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And then he bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death and conquering the grave. And if you repent of that sin and believe in him and receive the good news of the gospel, you will get to experience life to the full right now. But not only that, one day when this life on earth is over, you get to spend eternity, not in a place of torment, but in a place a blessing. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And while you have your heads down, your eyes closed, church, as we've been talking about having this urgency to share the gospel, if you have someone right now that maybe you're praying for in this season that needs to come to Christ, again, would you raise your hand up as well? Raise your hand up that you've been praying for. Maybe that person even came to mind while we were going through this message today. All right, you can put your hands down. And if you're sitting in this room today and you haven't yet trusted Christ, right where you are, I want to challenge you that this will be the moment that you surrender everything to him, that you have put your life under his authority to overcome the penalty of sin, to overcome the power of sin, and to gain eternity and life to the full through him. So if that's you today, you're ready to surrender your life to Christ, would you pray the simple prayer right where you are? And again, this prayer isn't some sort of magical prayer, but it's helping you communicate to the Lord what he's already been calling you to, drawing you to, and promising you to have an eternal life with him. Would you pray, Jesus, I believe the gospel to your God. You died on the cross. You bodily rose from the dead. Jesus, I repent of my sin, and I trust you as Lord. If you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life right where you are, will you just slip your hand up and then slip it back down so I can pray for you? Slip it up and then slip it back down. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, I want to thank you for the loving kindness that you show us always. And God, it is true, Lord, our sin separates us from you. God, our sin deserves an eternal punishment. Lord, you are serious about sin, but yet you still sent Jesus. That while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die on the cross for us. 
God, I pray for the believer in the room that they wouldn't forget about that incredible price that was paid for them. But God, I also pray, Lord, they would have a sense of urgency in sharing the good news with someone else. God, that person that you've been bringing to their mind, Lord, to the forefront of their hearts, God, that maybe they even wrote down on a card a few weeks ago that we've been praying for. God, I pray that you would open a door. And God, I pray you get in the courage to share the good news. God, I pray for those who are far from you right now. God, I pray that they would see, Lord, that you've been after their hearts. God, there's no better place to be, not in a place of brokenness or sin, but instead to be living with you. God, I pray they would turn their hearts and their minds towards you and surrender to Christ. God, help us to be a church where it follows you in everything because, Lord, we need you, we need to be like you, and we need to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.